And as I go, I will invite us to turn again in God's Word to the book of 1 Corinthians, the last chapter of that book, chapter 16. And I'm going to read a couple of verses, beginning in verse 13 and 14, and then skipping down to the last uh, three verses, four verses, beginning in 21, as we bring our study of this book to a final close give attention to um, God's Word as Paul writes it to the church in Corinth, <clears throat> excuse me, and to us. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14, and then down to verse 21. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. For I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Lord God, would you come now and give us an eager anticipation, not only of what you have for us when you return, but for what you have for us this morning as we consider your call and your work in us to prepare us and equip us for that day. Speak to us, O God. And transform us that we might love and serve as you have loved and served us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have any of y'all seen those videos that they were, they were more popular, I think, back when we were, you know, we had service members serving in various places. But those videos that go viral from time to time of a, a member of our armed service returning unexpectedly from some long deployment and they, they walk into their child's school classroom or, or to their spouse's office or to their parents' home unexpectedly and they're welcomed uh, as they arrive. You've seen those videos at different times? Those things, when I see those, they just get me right here. You know, these moments that are obviously captured by those uh, who arranged or know in advance uh, about this unexpected reunion, nevertheless, just hit us in our hearts where, uh, where we're most vulnerable. I get tears in my eyes every time. You see the shock, you see this momentary look of, of doubt and, and, and surprise and maybe even disbelief on the face of, of whoever's turning and seeing their loved one, followed by the realization that, oh wait, this is real, this person is here, and then followed by shouts and tears of joy as they run and they get engulfed in the welcoming, loving arms of the one that they dearly love and have so longed for their return. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's a heartwarming, it's a joyful moment. But my guess is that not every unexpected homecoming results in such a hallmark moment. The reality is not every family member experiencing a long separation always loves or longs for the return of a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend. 
There may be any number of reasons for that on the part of both parties, but sadly, in some situations, such a, a reunion may not be met with love and joy, but it may be met with fear or with shame or with anxiety or maybe even with anger for some reason. How one looks for and how one receives such a, a, a reunion depends a great deal on the nature and the expectations and the experiences of the, of the relationship beforehand. And the Bible says that one day, every one of us will have such a reunion experience. The scriptures and, and especially Jesus himself in the gospels have a great deal to say about a homecoming, a future return, a sudden appearing not just of a, of a family member to a few loved ones, but the return of the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, to all of his creation. And I wonder, I wonder if that were to happen today. If Jesus were to, to show up right here and right now, and someone, one of you with a phone, happened to, to capture my reaction, happened to capture your reaction, to record that, to see how we receive and how we are received by Jesus Christ. I wonder if it would be something that brings heartwarming tears of love and joy or something that we wish we could delete and do over. The truth is, we only have one shot. And what I want to consider today from just a, these few verses at the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, as well as the, the, the parables and stories read earlier from Matthew 25 from Jesus himself, is what does it look like to be equipped as saints for Christ's return? How can we have confidence have hope, have assurance that when Jesus comes again in his glory, we will be like that little child running to greet hit their daddy or mommy. We will be like that radiant bride embracing her husband after a long absence, that we will be received and we will be welcomed by God the Father as his treasured possession and beloved children, and we will hear his voice, the voice of our Lord Jesus say, well done. Enter into my joy. While Jesus told us that the day and the time is unknown, the event itself is not unexpected. And indeed, from its inception, the, the early church had an eager expectation, a, a deep longing that Jesus would have come again soon. And that eager expectancy is reflected in, in almost all of the New Testament epistles and certainly in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. As we've seen, as we've gone through this, at the beginning, Paul gives thanks for the grace of God given to them as they wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 7. In chapter 3, he speaks of the work of ministry and being careful how one builds upon the foundation of Jesus Christ because, he says, that work will be tested by fire on the day, a reference to the day when Christ comes. Warning them not to be quick to judge himself or others, Paul says, don't pronounce judgment before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of his heart. 
When he commands them to, to expel a, a, an unrepentant sinner from their fellowship, the purpose of that is that this man might repent and that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. In chapter 6, he speaks of, of the saints judging the world along with Jesus. In chapter 7, he encourages married and single to remain as they are for the appointed time, he says, is growing short and the present form of this world is passing away. He sees the Lord's Supper as a, a visible proclamation of Jesus' death until he comes. And of course, in chapter 15, his entire argument regarding the resurrection of the dead culminates with Christ's return to deliver the kingdom of, of God, the Father, and to conquer our final enemy that is death and to raise the dead imperishable such that faith, our faith shall become sight and we shall bear the image of Christ in glory. So it's not surprising that at the end of his letter, Paul takes the pen from, the scribe, from his scribe, probably Sosthenes, and in his own handwriting, he gives a final greeting that includes this short prayer, Maranatha, which translated from Aramaic means, Our Lord, come. The other time we see this prayer is in the final verses of the Bible in John's vision as he responds to Jesus' promise that he is coming soon, John writes, amen, come Lord Jesus. The eager hope, the expectant longing of the believer and of the body of Christ is for the return of our Lord. But interestingly, Paul's prayer comes here sandwiched between two final statements. One is a curse and one is a blessing. He says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed, anathema. And he says, our Lord, come. And then he says, the grace of the Lord be with you all. Now, who specifically Paul may be addressing in this situation is a matter of discussion. But what is clear in this is that how you respond to and receive Jesus at his second coming depends on how you have responded and received him in his first coming. If you do not love him now, if you have no earthly affection for Jesus, you will not love and long for him to return. His coming will not bring the blessing of salvation, but the curse of judgment. And if you receive him now as a, as a gift of grace, indeed as the grace of God which has appeared to bring salvation, then you will wait for him as a blessed hope. And you will love his appearing when he comes again. His return will be the consummation of that grace and that love and the final deliverance from the curse of sin. And it's in light of that reality, as Paul, Paul gives it here in the closing uh, greetings of his letter, it's in light of that reality that we have to ask the question, can we, can you and I truly pray, do we truly pray with eager hope, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. In many ways, Paul's whole letter to the Corinthians and indeed all of his letters and the, and the example of his own life are put forward, are written to prepare, to equip God's people for the day, for that day. 
And he says, as he says back in 15, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But the truth is, we have hope in this life and in the life to come because we know, we know Jesus will return. So how do we live this life with an expectant, eager, confident hope and able to pray, our Lord, come. Paul sums it up well, I think, in verse 13 and 14, which we read earlier at the end of the letter. Five short commands that really, if you think about it, reflect the main points of Jesus' three stories that were laid out for us from Matthew, Matthew's gospel in chapter 25. Three stories regarding the kingdom and his return. How can you and I be equipped for Christ's return? We need to be watchful, we need to be faithful, and we need to be loving. We need to be watchful, faithful, and loving. Paul says, be watchful, verse 13. Be on the alert, stay awake. This is a word Jesus used when he urged Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night when he would be arrested to, 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 to stay awake, to be watchful in prayer with him. And you remember they promptly fell asleep. <laughs> it's the same word he uses to conclude the, the parable of the ten virgins which we read, five of whom missed the bridegroom's arrival because they were unprepared. And Jesus gives the reason, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Again, the return of Christ is certain, and when it comes, none of us will be mistaken. <laughs> we won't wonder if this is the event when it happens. We will know. He will come on the clouds, arrayed in the glory of the Lord, coming with all his angels. It's an event that the Bible describes in language that will cause the most courageous to tremble in fear and cause the most confident to shrink in awe. Jesus will come bringing with him the fiery wrath of God's judgment on sin and also ushering in the final rule and reign of God's kingdom over the earth. We're told the sun will melt, the mountains will tremble, the rulers and powers of the earth will fall on their knees before him. There will be no one, no one who is unaware of his appearing. But no one, not even the Son of Man himself, knows the day or hour when this occurs. And so he says, be watchful, stay alert, keep your eyes of faith and keep your heart of your eyes of faith peeled and your heart of faith prepared for that day which will come at a moment's notice. For when it does, you don't want to be, you don't want to find yourself locked out of the wedding feast. We know what it means to be watchful, don't we? I remember my son Luke as a toddler standing at the glass door of our, our home with his hands pressed up against it and, and just, just waiting for dad to arrive home from work. And as the car would, would turn into the driveway, this big smile would come and you could just see his body would start shaking and he was trying to decide whether to wait for me to come in or run and tell everybody that, that I was home. It lasted for a short period of time. It was... <laughs> But it was that time, that time where he was, he was watchful, waiting for dad to return. Maybe you've stood at, at, at an airport looking at the arrival list, hoping the, the flight is on time. 
And when the plane lands, scanning the security exit for, for that, that family member or that friend who you've been eagerly anticipating their visit after or coming after a long journey. Maybe waiting in the classroom for a teacher or in the, the meeting room for a boss to arrive for that, that big exam or that presentation that you've been working towards for months. We know what it's like to, to be watchful, to eagerly await and anticipate the arrival of someone we love or respect or are, are, are serving in some way. And we know what it's like when we are ready and prepared for their coming. But we also know what it's like to be caught by surprise or to realize we're not really ready. <laughs> and therefore, maybe we're not really eager for their coming. Boys and girls, you know what it's like to, to how it feels when you're doing something that you, you shouldn't do or when you haven't done something that you should do and mom or dad shows up unexpectedly. <laughs> Maybe you have a friend or a family member that calls at the last minute and says, hey, I I'm passing through town, and I, I would love to just stop by for dinner, and maybe if it's okay, could I just stay the night tonight? <laughs> and you've, you're, you, you know, you're up to your eyeballs in other things to do. Maybe a husband, husbands, maybe your wife arrives home, as I said to the kids, from a trip hours before you were expecting and there's things you're running around trying to get done before she gets back. To be watchful, to be on alert, to be on the lookout, on guard, is to be expectant. To be ready for something and someone you know is coming. You just don't know when. And how we watch and how we wait is affected by whether we are looking forward to or whether we are dreading that experience, that, that appearance. Jesus told his disciples... If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you where I am. Their watching was a watch of hope. But Jesus also said to the Pharisees and to those who dismissed his claims, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and with his angels seated on the throne, coming in glory. And on that day, judgment will fall. The promise of Jesus' return is certain, and he prepares us for that calling, prepares us for that by calling us to be watchful, to be ready, to be eager to receive him, and to be received by him when that time comes. Now, why is it so hard for us to watch and, and wait? <laughs> well, part of the problem is that we want to see things happen right away, <laughs> and if it doesn't happen right away, we tend to forget and move on to the next thing. But part of the problem is, is that what God says is imminent, what Jesus says is coming soon, seems like it's been an eternity to us. Just as it's hard to stay awake and wait for someone as the hours roll through a long night, it's hard to be watchful and alert for what seems like and actually may be taking a lifetime. This was an issue Peter had to address in his second letter. The people were, were saying, where is the promise of his coming? Things have, have, have gone on like this ever since the beginning of creation. Why is it taking so long? The cry of the, the psalmist is, how long, O Lord? The more you long for something, the harder it is to wait and the longer it seems to take. And Peter reminds them, 
That with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as he considers slowness, or as we consider slowness. But he is patient. He is not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so, in God's economy, in the scope of eternity, the time between Jesus' first coming and when he will return again is just a couple of days. (laughs) And Peter says Jesus' delay is the patience of God. It is a display of his grace, giving opportunity for all to respond and receive his grace in the gospel. So being watchful is also being wise and seeing this life, even with all its difficulties, all its burdens, all of its hardships, being, being preparation and being an opportunity to live our lives humbly reflecting and receiving God's grace and sharing that grace with others, which is the second thing Paul points us to. He says, not not just to be watchful, but to be faithful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, which is is another way of saying, you know, don't don't go and flex your masculinity, but to, to, to be mature, to be courageous, to be strong, he says, And I've grouped these commands under the heading of be faithful because all of those are elements of what being faithful means. We saw in Jesus' parable of the talents, it pictures a master who leaves to go away and he entrusts the care of his household, of his property to his servants and and he gives to each different amounts according to their, their abilities as God gifts his church with gifts of grace. But each servant is called to do the same. Steward or manage this well while I'm away, the master says. Be faithful with what I have entrusted to you. And two of them do so by by taking those resources and putting them to, to, to work, investing them, so to speak, such that when the master returns, they will have made returns on what on that investment. But one out of fear of what the master will do if he fails, simply hides the resources away, which upon the master's return is the very thing the servant feared. It's a failure of stewardship and thus unfaithful with the master's resources. And the point of the parable that Jesus tells is is that, that he entrusts you and me as his servants, in some ways with the keys to the kingdom, He has given his church the privilege and the responsibility of being his ambassador. He has called us to to steward the gospel, to steward this this great treasure that has been entrusted to us, even even though we, we carry it in broken vessels. But we have been entrusted with that to proclaim his word, to to practice his grace, to show his glory and his and his love to the world in a manner that will magnify that glory and will lead others to receive that grace and to know his love. But we know that in this life, we face all kinds of obstacles to doing that, don't we? We have our own pride. We want, we want to take God's gifts and we, we, we feel like we need to use them for our purposes, that we would see them as a means to, to exalt our power as a means to accumulate our own possessions or to seek our own pleasures. 
We have, the, we have the pressures of the world around us, living in a fallen world, the ongoing struggles of, of sin and, and systems that are arrayed against the Lord and against his people, which would distract or di- dissuade us from the power of the cross, from trusting in God and in his grace. We are constantly prone to rely on the wisdom and the ways of this world, and we have a very real spiritual enemy Satan, who would have us believe lies that God is not for us, that he is not good, that his desire is simply to to keep us bound up by his unreasonable laws or demands, or will withhold the things we desire and long for in order to, to see us suffer, or to convince us that we are like God and we should we should do things the way we see best. All of these all of these things are arrayed against our calling to be faithful, to be stewards of what God has given us. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, he faced and he endured all of those obstacles for his people. He bore our sin. He overcame the world. He resisted and defeated the devil on the cross. And he has poured out his spirit to us and given it to his church to equip and enable us to live for him and not for ourselves. To steward the gifts and the treasures of his good news for the growth of his kingdom. And so to stand firm in the faith, to be, to be courageous, to be strong, is to believe and to trust the promises and the power of Christ for us and then to step out in risk and in boldness to invest and to steward and to use those gifts and that, and that treasure to share it with others that God might multiply it. To be faithful is to live in humble reliance on and with bold confidence in the sovereign grace of God who loves and cares for his children, who calls them to steward that grace for the salvation of others. And so to see our, our calling And to use our gifts and to steward our lives such that God is glorified, such that that Christ is not just proclaimed, but he is portrayed in this world through his people. And that others might know and embrace his reconciling love because they have experienced it in and through that message and that ministry that he has given to his church. That's being faithful, standing firm in the faith. And there's a lot of ways that that gets worked out. But in general, to be faithful is to love Jesus more than you love anything else in the world. More than you love your family, more than you love your job, more than you love your health, your possessions, your skills and abilities, more than you love your time, more than you love vacations and and good books or delicious food, more than you love doing things for Jesus more than you love life itself. Jesus' love for us and our love for him informs all those other things. To be faithful is to know that when we fail to love him as well, he doesn't fail to love us. When we are faithless, he is faithful and so we can come in repentance and we can come and know his forgiveness To be faithful is to look to Jesus, to the word of his truth and the power and sufficiency of his grace, 
and to his love poured out on you to enable you to serve him and to serve others in a way that they see and experience and know the love of Jesus and seek to live their lives faithfully to him as well. Which is accomplished ultimately by the third thing Paul points us to. Be watchful, be faithful, be loving. Let all that you do be done in love. Paul reminds us so eloquently earlier in in chapter 13 of this letter that no matter how watchful, no matter how faithful, no matter how sacrificial our lives may be, if we don't have love, it's nothing. Love undergirds everything. God is love. The gospel is the good news of Christ's love. In his laying down his life and taking it up again for us to bear what we deserve. God's punishment in order that we might receive his righteousness and his love. To obey Christ is to love him and to love others. And that's why Paul says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Christ's love for us manifests itself in our love for him and for one another. And what that love looks like is made very clear in a very sobering fashion by Jesus' last story in Matthew 25. A vivid picture, not just a parable, but a, a picture of what that day will be of his return. And there we see him, the Son of Man, comes in all his glory with all the angels with him, and he sits on the throne of judgment and he gathers the nations, everyone from all time and all places. He gathers them before his throne. And he begins what we might call the great culling of the herd. Like a shepherd separating out the sheep from the goats, King Jesus will come and and he'll call some to his right and he'll call some to his left. And to those on his right, he says, he will pronounce the blessing of the Father and give them the inheritance of his kingdom. Why? Because they loved him and they loved others. How? by practical, active demonstrations of mercy and ministry to serving others in need, by giving food and drink to the hungry and thirsty, by clothing the naked, caring for the poor, by visiting and ministering to the sick, by going to those in prison. In other words, by loving those whom Jesus himself calls the least of these. Those that the world says are unlovable or not worthy of love. Jesus' definition of love is living out his commands, modeling his commitment to show and share the mercy and provision of God to those who are least in the eyes of the world. And in order to do that, we have to humble ourselves like Jesus. We have to enter in to those situations. We have to engage 
with those in need. We have to do it with a love, not just for God, but also a love for them that only comes when we have received and know that kind of love ourselves. And note, there will be those who stand before the Lord expecting to receive his commendation and reward, but instead they are met with his condemnation and curse. Why? Because they did not truly love the Lord. How is that? Because they didn't demonstrate that love in their life and in their love for others. It was a professed but not a practiced love. And brothers and sisters, we need to always remember you cannot love God and not love your brother. You cannot love Jesus and not have that love manifested in in ministry to those whom Jesus came for, to the sick, to the lame, to the poor, the imprisoned, the outcast, the sinner. For such as them we once were. Now, some of you may say, this sounds a lot like works of righteousness. This can quickly become a, a, a legalistic approach to God or just a social gospel that says we're going to go out and, and, and care for the world. And that's why Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Such love does not come by our own doing. Such transformation does not happen simply by our good works. It comes as we know and as we receive and as we constantly recognize and realize our own need for and God's great provision of His grace. You have received grace and you are daily receiving grace through the love of Christ in you. And in that grace, it's that grace that overflows in love and in, in, in practical care and service and, and ministry to those both in the body of Christ, but also those that we would not naturally love and serve outside the body of Christ, seen as it's lived out together. And this is exemplified in Paul's last words of his letter. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. What great words. Words of grace, words of love given to a church that in many ways was not very full of love and grace for Paul or for one another. But he ends it. God's grace be with you. Christ's love fill you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. That's the posture we need to have as we longingly look for and expect God's return. Dependent upon his grace, constantly seeking his grace in our own lives in order that we may show his love and give his love and our love to others. One day, maybe today, Jesus is going to show up 
And every single one of us will see him and each of us will stand before him and nothing about our lives or our hearts will be hidden from him. It will all be laid there before him. Are you eagerly looking and longing for that day? Will you run to him in joyful hope and dependence on his grace and his mercy because of what Christ has done for you? Or will you stand shocked in realization that you're not ready? You, in reality, have had no love for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that need not be the case. Today is the day of salvation. No matter where you are, how long you have followed Christ, if you're hearing this for the first time or for the 15th thousandth time, Jesus says, look to him. Receive his love by humbling yourself before him and trusting him alone. Not only for your salvation, but for your sanctification. (laughs) And if you do love him, and I think most of us would say we do, then let that love find its true expression as we're watchful and as we are faithful and as we are loving to all and doing all that we do in love whom God gives to us that we might show and share that with them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly, but come as we humble ourselves and lay ourselves before you. We ask that you would come bringing the grace which you have promised and which will be fulfilled on that day, that we would receive it now and we would receive it then because of what you have done and because of your great love for us. And Lord, until you do come, Lord, would you work in us and through us to show your love and to share that love, to be faithful in the gifts that you have given us, to minister and share the message of reconciliation through practical service and love and provision for those who are the least. Lord, open our eyes to see the poor, the needy, the sick, the hurting, the imprisoned, the oppressed among us and around us. And Father, may we be quick to go And not just share the good news of the gospel, but share the love that is embodied in that good news in practical ways. That we might be found faithful and that we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That we might enter into the joy of your kingdom alongside all of those whom you saw fit to show your love and to share that love in the gospel through the work of your church. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.